So what actually happens on day one after you close on a property? We hear people buying thousands and thousands of apartments, but no one ever actually talks about what it takes to run these apartments. So what should you do next? So listen in today on today's episode, Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing, to hear what Jared and Dane Collins' experience is and what they typically do on day one after they close on a property and also how do they manage their property going forward. So with me today is my guest co-host, uh, Eddie Charger from Atlanta, welcoming Dane and Jared Conley. Welcome to the show, guys. How's everybody doing today? Oh, that is good, amazing, man. <laughs> yeah, listen, if I was doing any better, I'd probably be you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie, I, I haven't had you on the show before. Why don't you introduce yourself really quick before we get into the questions today? Because you have an Instagram handle that says this dad flips. I love that Instagram handle. That's what really made me attracted to you. And I was like, what, what are these guys talking about? Tell us a little bit about yourself, Absolutely. Eddie. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am Eddie Charger from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and this dad flips is my handle because I actually, uh, most people don't notice, but I was in the Olympics uh, for gymnastics and I've won gold and silvers. I'm lying. That's not it. It's because of real estate. I'm into real estate, guys. And um, <laughs> You know, I we do. I started in wholesaling, and with my business partner Ivan, uh, we created a very successful investment company. And then I was like, you know what? It's time to start some buy and hold. So I was thinking about doing one or two, just to kind of supplement, right? Every every five we wholesale, let's grab one. And I'm like, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and start going to the banks. Let's see what we can get, right? And fortunately for me, through other happenstance, I've already had a relationship with Pace. And I just left uh, Wells Fargo. I get a text from Pace like, dude, I just brought four properties with no money down. I'm like, I really wish you sent me this text at 8 a.m. as opposed to 3 because then my whole Friday would have been different, right? So ever since then, I got into sub two and started doing a bunch of creative deals. It is my new love language. Um, and from then on out, it's really just been about buying properties for the aspect of affordable housing, for rentals. Um, and raising capital, man. It's like my my one-two punch, you know what I mean? And we're, we're dabbling into, not dabbling, but we're, we're moving into the multifamily space just because of the things that I just mentioned, raising capital and being able to provide affordable housing and things like that. So that's me in a nutshell, man, besides the uh, Olympic thing, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, welcome to the show, man. I think you're absolutely in the right room. I feel honored to be in the room with all three of you guys. Uh, but let's get things started, guys. Uh, I, this is one of our deep dives. And for the listeners that haven't been on the show before, we got Jared and Dane to agree to do a deep dive on all the different steps in multifamily investing as it pertains to affordable housing, because no one ever really talks about this stuff in detail. So how can a newbie like any of us really learn how to do it if no one ever goes and, and discusses those details. So remove the fear so everyone can have a little bit more confidence about what they're doing. So one of the first questions that we had for you guys was like, hey, on day one, you, you, you closed on a property. What are you actually doing on a day right. that you guys close? Tell us yeah. a little bit more about that, guys. It, de it depends on how expensive it was. There's usually like breathing into a brown paper bag and, and shivering and crying in the corner and, and stuff like that. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I'll jump on this a little bit and then Jared can, can, you know, take his side of it, but it, you know, d day one, it's, it's a lot, you know, our property managers uh, are very active at that point. Um, but it's just kind of rolling out our game plan. You know, everything we've touched on on these previous uh, podcasts, Kent, it's from our inspection and our due diligence work. It's starting starting those those things. Uh, if the exteriors needed work, it's aligning, you know, uh, those those tasks and getting them on the calendar. Um, it's. The property managers on site, uh, making everyone aware of the new, you know, new ownership, new property managers. Here's how you get a hold of us. Here's how you pay your rent. Um, it's just, it's just all of that. It's, it's the, it's the manifestation of all of those, you know, whatever month or two months of of hard work of walking through the properties, 
picking it apart, you know, with a fine tooth comb and, and then putting our vision, you know, on the property and, and starting to roll it out. It's, it's really, I, you know, I joke that it's terrifying. Um, it's not, it's, it's exciting because if, if you're nervous or terrified day one, then, then you did something wrong two months ago, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> we, we still make mistakes. We still miss things here or there, but you know, it's, it's rolling out the vision and, and it's kind of fun. I, I, I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm on site um, usually, you know, with our Columbus area properties um, and monitoring any of the major renovations that are going on, um, ensuring everybody's showing up and things are being done properly, but it's just rolling out the, the previous, you know, month or two of, of hard work really. And Kent, you know, we've we've promised to be uh, to be honest on these. So I'll tell you one thing you don't do is you don't uh, send the tenants a letter that you're taking over the building before you close, because we did that on our first deal. And that did not go well. That was a <laughs> that was a total rookie mistake. That was completely my mistake, too. Uh, I thought it was awesome because we had these envelopes with our, you know, our contact information on it. And we wrote this, you know, what we thought was going to be a pretty inspiring letter, how we we're going to clean the building up. And man, was that a bad move. So don't do that. I, I mean, I, I want to, I want to dive into that a little bit, right? Like, why don't you do that? Like what, what happened? Cause that sounds like a good idea, right? It's like, you yeah. know, Thanks, Eddie. Like I, like that. <laughs> Thanks, I thought it was a good idea too. Don't man. validate. Don't validate his mistake. <laughs> I feel so much better now. Well, you don't do it in case the deal does fall apart. I mean, deals can fall apart at the at the last minute, and then also, you know, there's it's kind of dicey because things like rent or any sort of revenue gets split at closing. And so if you tell the tenants, Hey, I'm taking over, they may just say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to pay. Uh, or they may, you know, not follow through on something that they're supposed to do with the previous owner. Um, and so I think, I think, you know, on the selling side, cause we've sold one property, kind of the last thing you want your tenants to know is that you're selling the building until it's done uh, in case something does fall apart or just so things continue to function as normal. So <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a, a snafu, and the uh, the seller was not happy with us at all. But we still closed it. Um, but but don't do that. <laughs> yeah, he was but a well, hard let's hit. get <laughs> let's, sure, let's I, get specific about it though. Ground. I had what? to deal with this, uh, the seller. The seller is a hard <laughs> dude, and I had to be right there, ready to go and put out that fire. But yeah. <laughs> so just to clarify for the listeners, was it the seller that the most problem with it, or was it? The um, the or were the tenants like what? Yeah. What caused the biggest uproar? Was it the seller in that situation? It's, I mean, from our perspective, it was definitely the seller because he came and uh, met us at the property after we had closed, um, and was not happy with us uh, at all. And you know, like we've done whatever we've made mistakes. I just you know went up to him and apologized. I uh, told him you know that, that was totally totally my move and my bad uh, and that I didn't know that that would be such a disruptive thing. But, you know, he was then relaying to us the problems he was getting from tenants, like maybe yeah. someone that had backed rent who was promising to pay who now didn't seem super motivated wow. or interested in paying. So I think that's wow. where it presents the problems for the, the owner, which is why you don't do that move. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just all the normal things you sort of take for granted, like, yeah, people paying, people taking care of the property, uh, somebody moving out, you know, when they say they're going to do uh, or somebody breaking a lease and just running without telling anyone those those things can happen um, if if they know an ownership change is coming before it actually occurs. Yeah. And a lot of those tenants knew the owner and had a long, long standing relationship with him. One of the tenants was his uh, handyman uh, maintenance guy. So he was kind of caught off guard also. Um, it was supposed to be a really cool thing, but turned into a, a crap storm really quickly. <laughs> and I would just well, say, I would just say on a bigger picture, something always seems to go, you know, wrong, um, whether it's a small hiccup or, <laughs> or you send the tenants a letter saying you're buying the building before you purchased it. Um, there's always something right. like... Um, a tenant who says they paid early or who told they were allowed to break their lease early. I mean, I feel like yeah. there, there's some sort of bump. So just be ready for 
your plan to not go perfect and you just sort of roll with it. Yeah. I love that you brought up those examples because now people can actually understand, okay, well, for all my people that do owe back rent or for all the people that might've been promised something that from the prior owner, how did you guys handle those problems that kind of came up? Right. So if I were to back up a little bit, right. So, so far for the listeners, just so we're following, you guys have already walked the property on day one where you had the property manager on site. You guys have already scheduled any sort of uh, inspection, not inspections, but repairs to be done on a property, including any of the big roof foundation work that might have needed to be done or landscaping work that needed to be done. Now you're talking about there's a tenant portion of it besides for renovation. Did we miss anything else on dealing with contractors on day one first? I want to make sure our audience really understands like, hey, did I check all the boxes that Dane and Jared talked about on on the podcast? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's, you know, the way I see it is there's the the structural rollout, which you're touching on any interior, exterior upgrades, repairs. But then but then there's the financial uh, component also where our property managers at that point have already reviewed the leases, the rent rolls, all the financials and. Again, we have met with them um, before day one to say, this is our game plan for these expiring leases or these month-to-month leases, and here's our vision for year one. Uh, are we increasing rents? Okay. Uh, we see this all the time. You know, we're looking at a deal right now where you can raise the leases $250 a month. And well, as we said, man, that's easy to say, but that's really hard to, to do without right. accidents of, of tenants leaving your property. So, you know, we, we figure out what our game plan is with the rent uh, increases, if there is going to be any, and, um, and and start that behind the scenes work also where they're uh, providing notices uh, to expiring leases, renewing people. Rolling out any new um, plans that we may have, we've been looking at like um, an insurance like Rhino. If you've heard of uh, of Rhino, um, we, we've been looking at that uh, Rhino and another company that's very similar. Rolling those things out, educating the tenants on our policies and procedures, and and anything that's different like that, you know. Um, and we try to make it as as uh, simple and you know homey as as possible for them yeah yeah i think that's a really really strong point that you guys are um bringing up and talking about because for the most part people who are getting ready to get into multifamily or who are just like super aggressive and like looking at all types of deals and raising money to send a third a lot of times all of the effort seems to be talked about or go into that but the actual business plan, the game plan, like, okay, now we actually own it. What happens um, doesn't get discussed. It's not talked about. And you guys are bringing up like real life examples. And from what it sounds like, these are things that need to be in place before the actual signing, right? You can't wait till, hey, okay, we beat everybody else out. We finally got it. Now what's our plan, right? Like what, what do we do next? What do we do? So how did you guys kind of like learn what to do and what not to do. Well, obviously, you know what not to do, right? But like <laughs> how you the, the, the things that you should be implementing and stuff like that, like how does one gain that type of knowledge? Uh, if you want to know what not to do, just keep following us. Uh, we sort of made this play. <laughs> a little check mark. Okay, don't. Play, you know. Exactly. <laughs> No, man. And you bring up such a good point. And we talk about that all the time that like, I think everyone focuses on the deal or, you know, raising the capital. That is such a small component, really and truly in the grand scheme of things. Cause I always feel like the hard work comes once you bought the thing yeah. and then you have to execute that business plan. Um, I mean, in terms of how to actually do it, I think it's, you know, it's, it's problem solving like you do in a, in a lot of spaces and, and, you know, in business too. Um, I mean, we sort of have our plans. So we take our underwriting and say, look, this is what we think the property can do in year one. And so then we kind of um, reverse engineer that like on a monthly or quarterly or excuse me, a quarterly, then like a monthly basis and say, okay, this is what we think we need to do. <laughs> 
we thought in year one, we could start billing back water to eight units, then that's the goal for the year is to try to get eight units. If we thought we could do a $40 a month bump in rents, um, then that's, you know, that's sort of the game plan. And so then when we're having our weekly calls with our property managers, you know, they, they're aware of that. We're checking in on that. Those, that's one of those KPIs that we're following. So I think from just the sheer operations of the property, like the income and the expenses, that's kind of how we break it down to start, start that more macro level. What did you say it was going to happen in year one, break that thing down and then manage to that. Um, because, you know, the, the strange thing, again, as you're as you're new in this, like when you underwrite deals, like it sometimes can feel like these are just numbers. I can make them. I can make the spreadsheet say whatever I wanted to. Mm-hmm. The work that comes from you have to hit those those numbers, um, which is a big reason why we are super conservative when we underwrite, uh, because you just you don't know. You, you never know where's the, the landmine that are hidden or mines that are hidden in the property. Things you just despite being super, um, you know, thorough with your due diligence, you just, you miss things or you just find stuff out in that property. And so we always kind of expect hiccups and bumps for that first 12 to 18 months. You know, if we have our own money or investors or, you know, friends and deals, we harp on look year one, maybe even the first 18 months, um, we are most likely not paying out money to anyone. And we are going to just keep reinvesting money into the property to help cover you know, some of the capex, some of the turns to get the property where we want it to be, um, and that may that may be discouraging, you know, to some people. But I think when you're buying these with a long term mindset that we're going to own this thing for ten years, twenty years, if the first year or two doesn't pay out, what what does it matter in the grand right. scheme of things? Yeah. You know, yeah. get the thing functioning well, and then and then start you know enjoying that cash flow. Yeah. Geez, I mean, we're only like, what, 10, 15 minutes in and you guys have given more game than a lot of the podcasts that I've been listening to about multifamily and stuff. So in that same line, right, let's talk about some of the things because I believe you you guys had mentioned your property manager. How do you pick a property manager, right? Like what are some of the red flags that people need to look out for when they're screening property managers for, in particular, Section 8 and affordable housing? That was, uh, again, something that sounds easy uh, to do, um, but it's it's like dating, Eddie. I don't know if you're married, but uh, very rarely is somebody like Jared who, who marries his high school sweetheart uh, when they were, whatever, freshmen in, in high school. Uh, most of us kind of date around a little bit and shop around. <laughs> um now, in the affordable housing space, I think the big thing that you need to do is is you need to vet that uh, that team, the, the property manager. Do you deal with affordable housing, workplace housing? Do you deal with Section 8, VA? Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll show on a map. This is where our properties are. Do you work in those neighborhoods? Um, because we've interviewed some really, really great property management groups, but they won't, they won't go into the spaces that we're in. Um, so those are, those are the, the big initial questions that we ask is, are you good with dealing with affordable housing? Section 8, VA, um, do you have experience with, um, you know, uh, some of the charitable uh, programs in the area that that can help people when they fall behind on their rents. Um, That's and, a good and, wow. Yeah. And, and then from there, you know, and then we, we just get to know them as, as people too. And we kind of get our vision across. Um, it's really hard to get five stars as a property manager. You could be the best property manager in the world, but you know, if you have to evict somebody, I don't know many people who get evicted and say, yeah, uh, Jordan and Dane were great. Their property manager threw me out on the street and uh, five stars. So we we look at, at that. We also get, you know, uh, recommendations um, from colleagues in the area. Um, and with us being younger and in aggressive mindset, we ask them, you know, if we were to come on board with you right now, 168 units, can you handle that easily? And by the way, our plan is by the end of the year to have 300 or 400 units. Can you grow with us? And are you willing to 
to work with us. You know, we want you, to, uh, we're here for a reason because you're good. We're going to get the hell out of the way, let you do your thing. But we do have these two or three or four things that we really want you to focus on. Are you willing to adapt some of your policies to what we need to? So that's really good. That, so that begs me to ask this next question, right? Because it sounds like you, what you're saying is you want to find somebody with experience because of that and those particular things that we, we, you just mentioned. So what if I can't, would you guys recommend me find, using a property management company without Section 8 experience? Like they don't have Section 8, but they're really good? Man, I, I think if you can't, like if you literally can't find anyone, which which I imagine, I mean, if you're investing in a, in a decent sized city, you should be able to find someone. Um, but if you can't, I would, I guess I would consider it if the management company showed like a lot of initiative, uh, you know, and, and to piggyback on like what Dane said, one of the things I always love is when we're talking to a management company, when they start almost getting excited or spitballing ideas of, oh, hey, like looking at your financials, well, we could do this or that, or you guys aren't charging pet fees, you know, we could do this or like when they actually show an interest in what you're doing, that for me is, is a big plus. And so if, if we found a management company, yeah, that, that had that initiative and seemed like very genuine that they would work with us and they weren't giving you that, well, this is how we do things, you know, type of thing. They're open to, you know, adopting to your style. Then, then I'd consider it. It's, it is just a totally different animal though. And, um, it, it just requires a different kind of knowledge and skill set. But again, if they're willing to grow like that, then I, I'd consider it, but I would be, um, really more hands-on with them to make sure it's going well. Yeah. And that, and to that point, Eddie, like, that's a great question. I, I would make sure that they're tied into that, the neighborhood or neighborhoods that you're in and they understand what they're dealing with. You know, section eight, they, they can hold your hand through the process. You know, I think it was our first podcast, Ken, or I, I just went in, Eddie, I, I didn't know. I mean, I knew what section eight was, but I didn't know how it worked. Um, so we came in prepared with almost like a, well, our underwriting, but we put together like a, a pro forma picture book of this is what the property looks like now in a year. This is what what we're going to do. Teach me how this works. T how do you determine what rents are? How, how do you, you know, show me the whole thing? And they did, man. They sat down for like an hour with, with me and educated me so yeah you you could um but i i would like jared said i would just be real real cautious um but you need somebody that understands the neighborhood understands affordable housing uh before you get in bed with them for sure and i think those are really really important points to note down for the listeners because you have to remember when you're dealing with affordable housing it's not just property management and a tenant there is a housing authority that's involved and there's tons of paperwork that's involved with it. So if you mess up or you're not coordinating inspections correctly for units, you could be setting yourself up for problems down the road. Um, and I think you guys raised some really good points about looking for authenticity, but also looking for enthusiasm enthusiasm from, from your property managers to try to be involved in your business every day. Uh, and then you guys also mentioned a few things that I thought was really interesting for some of our first conversations you brought up again today, which was there are these things that we need you to do. And I think you guys have talked about SOPs, which stands for standard operating procedures, or even developing a playbook with your property manager. Can you guys tell us what does an SOP really mean for those people that don't really know what that is? And then how did you guys work with your property manager to develop those SOPs? Any sort of examples would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's just another point of what, what to do with property management is I, I'd be very cautious or hesitant to just suggest you buy this very expensive asset and then sit back and wait for your monthly statements and then a phone call if things aren't going well. You know, be very proactive, very hands-on. Is your is your responsibility as the owner to manage that asset and to help um, ensure the property management company is delivering on you know the the, the sort of pro forma you've drafted for year one and so. Um, I would say, Ken, obviously, ideally, I think that it'd be wonderful if the management company had a lot of those standard operating procedures for for those core things. Like, what do you do when someone gives notice that they're going to move out? How do you handle a vacancy? 
Um, you know, what's what's the turn time like? What what's the process for a a turn? Um, what's the process for delinquencies? You know, those those core uh, operating issues that you're going to encounter, and that's what we ask a lot when we're interviewing property management groups: is what is your process? And um, I. <laughs> Being the uh, you know the the SOP lover I am, I love it when they're like, oh yeah, we have a standard procedure for that. And I would say if they don't, um, I would draft one with them. You know, put something on paper. It could be very very basic. We we use some from our mentors with our, our current property management group um, because they were a little loose on some of their standard standard procedures, and we just you know made made it a handful of bullet points points or like, hey, this is our four steps, you know, for how to handle a, a delinquency, let's say, and then managing to that, you know, it's one thing to develop a procedure and talk about it. And that's it, you never, never do anything with it. But then I think managing to it, like, hey, I thought we said, you know, if, if or at least to say the fifth of the month is when rents do that we start um, posting notices, then the sixth, you know, why, why didn't this tenant get that notice until the eighth or the 10th? Um, and, and so that that to me is kind of the reason to have those uh and how it benefits you as as the you know more of the asset manager too so just to kind of clarify your standard operating procedures literally lays out all the steps right there's no ambiguity there's no lack of clarity there that hey when someone's delinquent on debt on day one blah 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 on day three blah 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 and that's what we always do for every single situation is that what you typically have in um in store or as part of your standard operating procedures with your property yes. managers yeah wow. i almost think of it as if they hired somebody day one a brand new manager they should be able to look at those and know what to do and sure like have a conversation with us if, if we need to clarify a, a point but it should kind of be fairly inclusive so they know exactly how to do it and i think it also is helpful to have this from a totally different angle is that so you are treating everyone fairly and everyone the same the last thing you ever want to do um, is give the tenant a, a, a feeling that i'm being treated completely different than somebody else right. uh, for, for again for a bunch of reasons so so we have them for business standpoint but we also think they're super important important so all the tenants feel like this is just the, the process, the procedure doesn't matter who I am, how long I've lived here, how much I make, do I pay on time or am I always a day or two late? It should be the same. Yeah. Wow. This is really good stuff. Like I'm, I'm hearing a bunch of checks and balances. I'm hearing systems in place. And these are things that it sounds like, like, duh, of course we have these things. But like when you get into multifamily or you're like, hey, I want to do affordable housing. You're not really thinking about those things first and foremost, right? Because everybody talks about, hey, all you need to do is find a deal, right? And then all you need to do is find the money. And then you're like, okay, you won. It's like, wow, look at all these extra steps. That makes sense, right? Like, I almost want to say these are things that you could, you should start to dwell on and think on beforehand. Yeah. Then you can go look for your property and stuff like that. So you mentioned something in that in your response there that I want to kind of ask you guys about. You said asset management, right? What is that, right? <laughs> like I know, I know, I know property management, right? But you hear people say that a lot. But why do you have an asset manager? What what, what do they do? It's it's really us. You know, we are um, you know with our our size, it is just a, a position that we handle between the two of us. But um, you know, the need for it would be. Um, I think of it as like an, it's an investment. You know, these are our properties. Um, we want certain things from them, a certain level of performance, a certain level of um, uh, of just the way it, the, you know, the property looks and feels. So, you know, so there's a there's the financial side of it, but there's also just the aesthetic side <laughs> of it. And using a third party management company, I think it's um, it it maybe isn't you're not being the most responsible with your investment so your dollars any capital you raised if you aren't then making sure that property management company is fulfilling the the sort of dream you've laid out and that's the need for it um a lot of property management companies kind of have their way and, and that's not necessarily a negative thing they have their kind of standard way they want to do it your job is to at a minimum is to make is to manage them to that level of performance and ideally, if they're not doing um, something the way you would prefer is then, you know, have that conversation with them and say, 
this is how we prefer it, it to be. You know, is that a reasonable thing? I think we always have that that follow up question. Is this reasonable? Because we're not property managers. We don't want to suggest something that's just totally backwards. So we have those open that open dialogue with them. But it is 100 percent your responsibility to to manage. You know, you always hear that, like manage the manager. So manage the management company to make sure they are fulfilling um, what they said they would do. Uh, and I think yeah. I think you really, really run the risk. Again, if you're waiting for a, a monthly statement, you're really running a lot of risk there because that you're 30 days behind at, at a minimum when you get that statement. Most of the time you don't even get the statement like, you know, the first of the, the following month. It might be the fifth, the sixth of the month. So you are way behind on any problem. So, if, you know, your repair and maintenance cost was 2x what it should have been. And you find that out six weeks later. That's a huge problem. Uh, especially if you somebody, you know, you have investors that gave you money and maybe that continues to happen. And, and you now you're into the second month where that repair and maintenance cost is way through the roof. So we look at our financials weekly at a minimum and have that dialogue with our property managers on a weekly call to see where are we from rent collection, delinquency, vacancy, you know, move-ins, any unusual maintenance requests. Um, and then if it's a slower week, because we kind of have a set cadence, it'll it'll be more kind of forward thinking things like like CapEx. Hey, what should we plan to do for this property over the next three to six months? Yeah, it's just to add to that. Sorry, Ken, it, it's it's accountability. That That's all it is. It's okay. it. We're the adult in the room that has to make sure tenants are being held accountable to policies, procedures but also the property managers are being held accountable and there's nothing being missed. You know, we're, we're the grownups is the way I think of it. We're the grownups watching over this, this property. And sometimes they're tough decisions, tough uh, conversations that we need to have on vacancy delinquency. Why is this not happening? Why is this not happening? Or why did this happen? What do we need to do in the future to prevent that? And just like Jared said, also, it's 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 not a passive thing. You know, if <laughs> I said it earlier, day one, if you're nervous, uh, then you did it wrong. Then you need to eject because day one should be exciting. You know, asset management, if you think that that's passive and you're just going to sit around here and collect your one percent two percent three percent and go shopping with that that that's that that's you're doing it wrong you're you're the adult in the room you're holding people accountable and you know jared and i have had to make tough 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 decisions and have very uh tough dialogue sometimes too so that's what it is in a nutshell and Eddie, just to give you like a specific example. So this is literally a conversation Dane and I had, um, not not Tuesday of this week, the previous week. We bought a property like, like we often do where the rents are considerably below market. And we have made a decision that we're not comfortable going to somebody to say, hey, guess what? Your rent's now $200 a month. That's that's a huge hit on someone, um, you know, for, for our tenant base. And so you know, if we had to sit and have this conversation where we went through like 29 different units of what would we do from a rent bump for each of those units? And we tried to do it very equal, very fair, uh, depending on the gap they were from market. So if somebody was farther from market, then we, maybe we did a higher amount, but we did that for everyone kind of in that, that had a similar gap to market. Had we not had that conversation with our property management company, they would have just sent out rent increases and maybe it would have just been a total peanut butter spread. Maybe they would have said, Hey, hundred dollars a unit for everyone. And you just know, you never know that could have resulted in, you know, a lot of uh, vacancies because maybe that's just too high of a dollar amount or, right. or the opposite could have happened. Maybe they would have said, you know what? Times are tough. Let's just keep rent the same. Well, if that's not where we kind of need the building to be from from a revenue standpoint, then that's going to impact us. So that's just a very real example of you know why you have to be actively involved in these types of decisions with your property management company. Yeah, I like that. That's that's really really good. So I, I guess my question in that that same scenario, because you guys already kind of had a performer ready to go, and here's what we want to look like and feel like on day one. So when you guys are now you've purchased it and you're sitting down with a property management company, did you already have in mind from the underwriting that, hey, we're gonna raise it, but we're gonna be conscious 
because we know who our base is yeah. on how much we're raising it? Or is it something that typically just kind of happens after the fact? Yeah, that's, you know, we're planners. I mean, sometimes I think we overanalyze and overplan, but I'd rather be overprepared than to be underprepared. So, yeah, yeah, exactly what Jared said, man. We, we know um, almost to the penny, you know, well, to the penny, what we're going to do and, and where we need to be um, year one, year two, year three. Um, <clears throat> and it's a discussion with him and I and, you know, to me and to us, it's it's a when we talk about rent increases in affordable housing, you know, we, we are very delicate with that because we're very understanding of the space we're in. We don't want to, you know, drive uh, laborers and, and section eight tenants away because they can't afford it anymore. But we right. also have bills to pay too. Um, and so, I mean, Jared and I went back and forth on this. I, I, I was kind of like, man, I, I don't know what the economy is going to be like in three months, six months. None of us do, but I think, yeah. I think, you know, so I was kind of like, yo, let's, let's just freeze rents um or do a very very modest and you know we went back and forth and and i'm the creative jared is the the integrator and and he kind of said well that's great but do you realize how far under market we are on some of these and so there was some give and take and discussion like that but we're, but we're very very um very structured with it but at the same time very understanding and and we do plan that out you know uh all in advance for sure. And Eddie Dane said this before in previous podcasts, but one of our mentors always says, don't pencil whip a deal. And what, you know, that essentially means is don't write in and, you know, for underwriting. So we will underwrite over like a seven to 10 year hold. So if I went in there, for instance, of this property we're talking about and say, Hey, year one, we're going to raise the rent $200 a month on each unit. That's going to make that deal look amazing, you know, because we've done all the hard work in year one that's not practical for our tenant base unless we want 70, 80 plus percent turnover and, you know, maybe driving people towards homelessness, which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. So we kind of have this sweet spot where we know from past experience, like, Hey, most people can, can tolerate X dollars a month from a rent bump. And so when we have people that are so far off market, we kind of have this idea of, okay, maybe it's going to be two years, maybe potentially even up to three years until we close that gap and we're okay with the property not performing as well as it could be because again if we can keep people there you know in their in their homes and then improve the property around it i think that's for us is is a total win win because we've we've kept those tenants we've given them a better place to live we've improved the property and we're we're fulfilling our mission at that point in time and we're also being responsible to our partners if we have partners in on the deal you know Eddie if we were to bring you in on a deal Again, being the planners, we're like, hey, man, like Jared just said, don't expect massive returns year one or, or maybe first 18 months-ish. We under-promise and over-fulfill, or we try to. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's all pre-planned. And, and we have these metrics in, in place that, that, we, that we look at. Um, and as asset managers, again, that that's our role is to be actively involved uh, in the day to day, you know, uh, operations of, of the property, um, monitoring the, the property managers um, and holding them accountable to, to those metrics and, and making sure that we're fair to the tenants, fair to the property managers also, but also fair to you as our as our partner. And with our partners also, there's constant dialogue. Uh, we do happy virtual happy hours and, you know, just email, um, you know, quarterly email type of deal or monthly email. Whenever whenever you need to hit us up and get any feedback, we're always we're always available. And I, and I love that. I want to make sure I make sure I get through your points of you guys are the CEOs of your business. And I think. If anybody looks at the CEOs of any Fortune 100 company, they all have metrics that they look at, right? They're not expected to do all the individual things, but they know they have numbers to look at and the team that they are holding accountable to those numbers. Now, Jared, you talked a little bit about the numbers that 
you guys actually post your property managers on. What do those numbers actually, what are those metrics, first of all? And how do you figure out if something's going wrong? You talked about rent collections, you talked about delinquencies, but for someone new and they're just trying to prioritize like, hey, how do I first just get my head around a few of these metrics? What do you think they should focus on if you had like three or five off the top of your head that they should absolutely be 100% laser focused on when they're just getting their property up and running? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we focus on um, like vacancies, our delinquency rate. Those are kind of the two big ones because uh, to me, those are more important sort of like lead metrics. Like if vacancy is high or, or delinquency is high, you know, kind of then your rent collection is not going to be very high. So that's sort of less important to follow. So vacancy, delinquency um, are the biggest ones. And then we kind of have some sub components to those. Like how long has that unit been vacant um, without like an approved or, or pending app uh, or, excuse me, or application, uh, meaning a new tenant, you know, has has submitted an application for that unit. So so that's a big one. Uh, and then on delinquencies, uh, this is to sort of manage to our operating procedure is, you know, we have like a cap based on each property. Somebody who has a balance greater than X dollars that we have not initiated our delinquency procedure on. So you know, posting a late payment uh, notice, posting the three day notice, et cetera, that whole path. Um, and then what we did with our property managers, so we have just a, a Google uh, Drive document that we share with them. So it's cloud-based, everyone can access it too. The first tab is like a scorecard. So it's, you know, uh, red and green. So you can tell for each of these metrics for each property, where are we at, at a super high level? Um, so that's just a nice kind of 30,000 foot overview. And then we have tabs on that document for each of these kind of main key, uh, KPIs. So we have a vacancy tab, a delinquency tab. Um, we then just have a tab for like, almost like a parking lot, like just random ideas that we wanna talk about in future uh, meetings. And then, um, you know, we're going through those because we have a set cadence each week. Like our, our management company knows, hey, it's week one, we're gonna talk about any move-ins, you know, any vacant units. Uh, you know, week two is going to be more on delinquency uh, because usually we're past the fifth of the month at that point in time. So it doesn't doesn't really make uh, sense to have a conversation about delinquency on you know the second of the month uh, and so forth. So we're kind of following that. And that's how we're really uh, managing to that. And I would say for us, as we're going through some some challenges, you know, currently with our, our, our current management company, that's been helpful because it's actually given us very objective things to manage them to and have been tracking this for an extended period of time to see like, okay, we had some hiccups like six, eight months ago, seemed to write the ship. Now it's getting kind of bumpy again. What's going on? Yeah. And uh, I'll, do you want me to expand on, uh, on that a little bit, Jared, is the accountability piece and Ken, I haven't even told you this uh, yet. We um, talking about asset management, rap, kind of this is a great way to put a bow on, on everything we talked about, <clears throat> being the adults in the room, uh, holding people accountable. Um, we had a phone call yesterday with our property management group where, that we've had now for a couple of years great people. We've grown with them. They really helped us stabilize our, our portfolio when we were struggling to find good management. Uh, they came in and, and really steadied the, the ship. Um, they tried to grow with us, but going from 20 or 40 units to 168, was very challenging for them uh, and for us. And it became a lot of work and a lot of stress and just rampant inefficiency. We talk, you know, efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Um, yeah, so yesterday we terminated that agreement with them, uh, which was kind of like breaking up with a long-term girlfriend, you know, uh, was not the the best conversation, but to Jared's point, you know, why are you doing this thing? Well, uh, let's look at these the spreadsheet here. And and the owner knew he he could not have been more professional and great about it. But I said, look, man, this is getting bad again. Jared and I are doing so much work, and, and it shouldn't be. We should be able, as you said, Kent, we should be CEOs. We should be growing and focusing on improving the quality of our current portfolio, but 
but growing, adding more units so that we can help more people. And when, when we're spending hours of our week, Jared and I talking about those KPIs that he just hit on, like, wow, it, it gets to a point where guys, if it's, if it's too hard, if, if, and too stressful, uh, managing that property management group, I, I think you may need to look in another direction. And so we did. And that, the questions that we talked about earlier today are the same questions we asked this new group. Um, they are the, the largest uh, affordable housing property management group in the state of Ohio. Their systems and connections, uh, I mean, Jared does a tremendous job with our system, so I, I don't want to say that their systems are better than what he has, but they have their systems. We ask questions, hey, could you tweak this? Could you tweak that to account for what we like? Absolutely. Um, but their connections within the community also, ways to help tenants out, uh, et cetera. And they'll be able to grow with us. I said, hey, if we get if we added 300 units next month, he's like, just we would need a month advance notice. But, yeah, we can absorb that and, and there would be no drop off. So, you know, it, it's it's being involved. It's being the grown up in the room. And, and we had to make that 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 tough decision. And so there we are. I love that, man. I, I really love and I, and I really appreciate like the honesty that you guys are giving back because you guys are talking about a lot of things that they're not even on the radar, right? And, and you know, owning multifamily is owning a business. And you are that CEO and it takes having to have some of the difficult conversations and also uh, making some of those difficult decisions to be able to help. And, and one of the key keywords that you said is like our job is, if anything else, it is to continue to grow, to expand. So in turn, we can help more people. Right. And if, if if that's not multifamily, if that's not affordable housing, I really don't know what is. Right. So <laughs> that, that, that is amazing. So here, here's a, a really good question. Right. So in regards to like the administrative stuff, what are some things that, you know, people are just not thinking about or even some things that you guys didn't take into consideration until after the fact? You're like, oh, this is this is something we should probably pay attention to moving forward. Like bookkeeping, honestly, at first, I mean, we, you know, when you're first starting out, you're kind of bootstrapping everything because you don't, you don't have the scale to make a lot of things make sense. And so I still wake up in the middle of the night, you know, in a cold sweat thinking of me trying to be our bookkeeper. And like, I don't know the first thing about accounting, but taking the, the management group statement, which you get varying levels of sophistication in those statements, like some you know, some you could literally just turn right over to your CPA and they'd be great. It'd be like in the appropriate format. Some are very, you know, primitive. And so I would sort of do my best uh, on that front. So, I mean, that is one of those administrative things like, uh, you know, if you can, if you have enough scale, a, a bookkeeper is tremendous. I think a great real estate accountant, like an accountant that specializes in real estate, especially multifamily, I think would be huge. Um, you know, one of those other points we didn't really talk about on day one is make sure you have insurance and make sure your insurance is, is set up for that day, you know, so it takes effect that day. That can be one of those things like in the excitement of the deal, like you've done your due diligence, you've done the inspection, you know, you, you got your loan approved. Then there's kind of this law where you're like, man, all right, it's kind of quiet for the next three, four weeks. Like you got to get insurance uh, and get that ready, too. So those are some of those behind the scene things. Uh, that you just need to be doing. Um, and on that insurance front, again, I think trying to find people that companies that deal with insuring multifamily, I think is great. I think if you can get companies that do C-class affordable housing, that's even better because um, sometimes if you try to get a quote from the more well-known insurance companies, it's not going to be super favorable if it's affordable housing or they might just flat out not do it. Legal would be the other thing is find a good um, real estate attorney you know, to, to review contracts, um, agreements, addendums, whatever. But also, you know, in um, a situation Jared and I found ourselves in, <clears throat> when we underwrite our properties, we always account for the increase in taxes. Um, gosh, what was it? Two months, 
or so after we had added our 76 unit, we got hit with a tax hike that was exorbitant and um, reached out to our uh, attorney who luckily for us, I mean, we, we hired him because we knew he was good. He was a real estate attorney. That's what he does. Um, he had fought these battles before and he kind of held our hand into battle, so to speak. And uh, he kicked ass and saved us. Um, uh, I, I don't remember the number. Jared's the numbers guy. But I mean, the number, the taxes were going to double, more than double and uh, triple. Okay. Um, and by the end of that, they didn't go up. And that puts some money in our pocket. Yeah. But the thing that we told the school board and in the, in the city was you triple our taxes. Don't come crying to us about the lack of affordable housing. Like this is mm. all you read in Columbus, Ohio, Eddie, I'm sure Atlanta is no different. Every city in, in the U S we need affordable housing, affordable housing. Don't triple my damn taxes. Okay. Because yeah. if you triple my taxes, I got to raise rents. And Section 8 now is hurting, and and it, it, it's a vicious cycle. And a good real estate attorney got that point across um, without using the profanity that I just did, but he did a tremendous job. And, and man, bro, that saved us so much money um, that we are now reinvesting into those properties. We're landscaping and, and, and things like that. And, yeah, we'll be able to finally pay our – partners and in ourselves a little bit of money uh, uh hopefully here in the next month or two so that would be the other wow. thing i would say for sure yeah that that's really good i mean both of those points are extremely amazing um especially the i mean damn both of them are really 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 good so definitely get a good bookkeeper right and then don't try to learn how to do it on youtube and you're saying, don't hire my cousin Ray Ray as an attorney. Because he he had a little attorney thing he was doing before. He's saying, I want to go go with more of a professional real estate attorney for this. Yeah. yeah. Pay pay the extra money. That's one thing Jared's been great with me is, you know, I tend to, everybody has a cousin Ray Ray, Eddie, where, but but you just don't feel great about it. Your spidey senses right. are kind of tingling. Like, ooh, maybe yeah. I should. Yeah. Ray Ray got the best prices, though, right? That's the part <laughs> right. <you're> <laughs> You got the best prices. You can't. Yeah. You can't argue there. I would like to see Ray Ray in, in the in the court going against the school board trying to get the taxes decreased. So <laughs> that's that's. Oh, Ray forgot. He, he's not even showing up. He forgot that was the yeah. day. He, he, <laughs> I, I thought it was tomorrow. Is that tomorrow? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, so I mean, paying paying the extra money. Don't hesitate to invest. Um, you know, and like I said, this word Jared has helped me because I I tend to be a penny pincher. Uh, despite some of uh, our successes in the, in the past. And, you know, you pay that extra $100, extra $1,000, and it comes back to you in spades, whether it's on education, on mentorship academies, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, on a real estate attorney, uh, um, uh, an accountant, you know, interview all those people and and make sure your spidey senses aren't tingling on on those people. You need good people that they yeah, they make cost extra. But man, it's it's a drop in the bucket once you're looking at you know a million dollar or, or hundred thousands of dollars of investments or millions of dollars in investments. It's it's well worth it for sure. And I think you guys have touched on this theme so much. It's like finding the right people for your team. That's what's going to get you guys to the next level. You guys, some of the top players in corporate America, they don't look for the cheapest COO. They look for the best COO and they, and they value them and compensate them fairly for their skill sets. I think what you guys have done is, one, you guys have measured your people objectively so that you can be making informed decisions with the data that you're tracking and ultimately hiring the best people to be on your team. I think this is why, like, I would invest with you guys any day. Uh, absolutely, without hesitation, because right. you guys have been so honest and transparent about the struggles you guys have gone through. And not enough people talk about that. And just with you guys sharing an example of the property taxes more than tripling what you expected. Yeah. Wow. How many people would be shaking in their 
in their seats right now thinking like, oh my God, that happens? Oh, it does, it just doesn't happen, right? As soon as I got the letter, that would have caused diarrhea. Just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I'm reading that, I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom. This is- <laughs> hey, we didn't say we didn't have diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you want to know something crazy? Those properties were doing so great. I literally had outreach to the the like three partners we had in that deal. Yep. And just got all of their bank information because I was like, we're gonna actually, I think we're actually gonna be able to start paying ourselves here really soon. And then it, I got the last person's bank info, and then we got that notice from our attorney. And I was like, ooh, man, you talk about an uncomfortable conversation. You go from, hey, we're gonna pay ourselves to guys, we're not paying ourselves anytime soon. This this could be really a tough, tough stretch of time. But that's why you run with good people. Can't, you know, yeah. we talk about it in every podcast. Uh, you know, Eddie, I, I don't know if you've listened to him, but we don't run with buttheads, man. We, we, we hang with good people that are understanding, that get it. If you've listened to any of these podcasts, we're probably a little too transparent on our, on, on everything, but that's, that's the way we operate. And that's the way I think you, you should operate. Um, and no, one of these days, can we do a podcast where we do nothing but pat ourselves on the back so people don't think we're complete idiots? <laughs> they got to go to the show notes for that. We put we listed all in the show notes. All no, right. Honestly, man, I think it's great, man. Like I said, like I listened to a bunch of other podcasts in about this space before I found Kent, and I connected with what he was pushing out because his guests were talking the whole. Like I have this saying: "Tell the truth, but the whole truth." And I just feel like we're in a time now where people are telling the truth, but not the whole truth. And you guys tell the whole truth, right? You talk about the things you you've downloaded the mindset that needs to be taken seriously if this is something that you want to, you know, you want to do. And you have to have a certain amount of passion about it. It can't just be about how much money you're going to make at the end of it, because it takes a lot of work that you guys are talking about in order to make it happen and along the process. And that is amazing. I mean, you guys should honestly teach a masterclass. Um, well, I, you actually just gave a masterclass, right, on this, and I, and I I definitely appreciate it. I got tons of notes. Go my listeners did. If they didn't, play it again. That would be great. Kent would love that too, right? Let's just repeat the, <laughs> the thing. But no, nah, this was really, really good stuff, man. And truth be told, because of how you guys expressed everything that's going on and, and the behind the scenes and all the stuff that people aren't necessarily thinking about, that's what tells me you guys are badass operators. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not the like, oh, how many doors you got and how many you yeah. have on the asset management, blah, blah, blah. No, no. It's like, here's what we've been going through. Here's how we solved it. Here's what we learned. That's what makes me have confidence in the next person I want to invest any type of either time, money, or business with. So definitely kudos to you guys on that, man. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I really, yeah, really appreciate it. And, you know, the other thing I'm, I'm personally excited about is, you know, growing, adding this new property management group that has systems that's going to unload us so that we can do what we do even a little bit better, help more people like we talked about. But as of April 1st, um, I will no longer be a W-2 or a, a, a employee. I had another business on the side. And that will be uh, that will be done, and I am just gonna take massive action. You know, I, Eddie, I'll bounce out down to the ATL and check out some multifamily properties there if you want. I'm, I'm, I'm we're wanting to expand our footprint a little bit. ATL came up as one of uh, you know one of the hotter markets, and so. I'm excited about that, man. It's, it's, you know, it's been a hell of a lot of work to get here. Um, good days and bad days, but, but stick to, stick to what you've learned, keep your head down and, uh, you know, run with good people. And I'm excited. I'm excited for the, the rest of this year. Wow. This has been an amazing show. I love the conversation here. I hope our listeners got so, so much value out of this. So, for the listeners out there, if you want to actually see some of the reporting or the KPIs, the documentation, the SOPs, all those fancy jargon words that we talked about today, or even the screening process, we're going to have Jared and Dane come on to our live again, maybe with their future property managers, and actually review all these documents, answer any questions that you may have 
so that we can actually continue providing so much value to our listeners into the future. If you have any more questions just by listening to this on the replay, please don't forget to put your questions in the comment section below. And if you want to be informed of this next live, please make sure you follow me at invest with Kent. He on Instagram, follow Eddie charger at this dad flips on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out Aspen realty Coast website. So you can get on their uh, in info and wait list so that you can be apprised of all these amazing things that are coming up. Thank you guys. This was an awesome conversation. See you guys soon.